Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we continue our series, Our Church. As we take a close look at what the church is and where it should be headed, lead pastor David Fossil points out the importance of values in a church. We're reminded that our values give us personality and flavor. They're what makes us look different from other churches. Listen as Pastor Dave gives us some ideas to implement our values of reaching others and of building community through small groups. I, I, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many of you had a conversation like that this morning, uh, but I'm glad you're here. We are in the middle of a series called Our Church. Last week we talked about our vision. Next week we're talking about our doctrine, very, very important. Today we're talking about our values, our values. Values is something that gives a church personality. It's values is what what guides many of the decisions, whether whether directly or or indirectly. Values is what gives us flavor. okay? because many churches should basically have the same mission. okay? Matthew 28. A, A lot of churches have the same doctrine. We call that statement of faith. But it's the values that makes us look and operate differently than many churches. Every church has unique values. Now, if you've been to uh, one of our 411 meetings, we, we have it once, once a quarter or something, we, we give you one of these sheets and we give you like a value sheet. Um, and, and I'm going to focus on two this morning, but just kind of real quickly to go through them. Authenticity, that's basically saying we want to be real. We don't want to pretend, uh, you know, we just be real as people and as a church. Excellence, you got to be careful. That doesn't mean slick. It means we do the best we can with who we are. And what we got, our resources, you know, and, and whether the best we got is average, well, that's the best we got. I'm doing the best we can, whether it's a ministry or a facility, whatever it is, right? The other is balance, truth and grace. There's a passage in, in Proverbs chapter up, chapter three. I love what it says there. The, the, the writer is speaking to his son and he's saying, you know, you need to be a person that stands for the truth. Now, there are some of us that, that do that. But we kind of have this, yeah, that's the truth, whatever. You know, I don't care what they think. Big problem, because then he goes on to say to his son, but you should care what people think. You should be able to stand for the truth, but also have people like you and do it in a way that's kind. You need to balance that. And it's very difficult to do that. You always kind of get in this gray area. But some people are just so kind, they never speak the truth. They never say anything that might offend. And, and others of us tend to have kind of a, you know, whoa, whatever they think is up to them. We need to find that balance. And that's a value to us. We want to speak the truth of this book, but we don't want to beat people over the head. Right. That's that value. Practical messages. Uh, my, my job is not to tell you the history of the Hittites or the Canaanites. My job is not to teach you Hebrew words or Greek words. My job is that to teach you in a way that you walk out of those doors, you have at least one thing that you know how to do differently to live for Jesus. That's my job. We try and keep it simple, not simplistic, but but simple. I've told some of you, I teach at an eighth grade level. I use words that are eighth grade level so then even college graduates can understand. You just keep it real simple, right? Keep it on the bottom shelf, right? Team ministry, we talked about that last week, growth. We unapologetically are interested in growth. Spiritual growth is the obvious one, but also numerical growth. That matters to us. We want more people next week than there are this week because we want more people to know and hear about Jesus. It's not an ego thing. 
It's a, it, every time we grow, we have issues. We met this past week trying to figure out a way to fit 150 more seats in this room. Because we have more and more people coming, which is a great blessing. And we don't think we have the manpower to go to three services yet. Some people think it's really godly, not, well, we don't count people. You know, that's not what matters in numbers. I had a conversation with a pastor once, and he had that conversation with me. I was like, well, how are you guys doing? And what's your attendance now before compared to last year? And he's like, oh, we don't know. I don't know where we're at, you know, that we don't count. We don't count attendance. And he said, like, we're really godly. Right. And I said, well, do you count your offering? And he says, well, yeah. And I said, well, I guess you're saying your money are more important than your people. Yeah, no, it felt really good to say that. I should have said that, <laughs> but it felt really good. You know, um, it matters to us. Humor and fun. We think Christians should be the happiest people on earth. Unfortunately, that's not always true. Some of us are grumpy and we will keep working on you. Okay. Once once someone brought a friend to church, they were begging this person to come to church for years. They finally came after service. This Bay Hills person asked their friend. They were coming from a very conservative background. Um, what did you think? Uh, what did you think of my church, Bay Hills? Are you going to come back? And this friend said, said to the Bay Hills person, absolutely not. Why? This is the answer they give. There's way too much laughing going on at that church. And we're like, good, because we didn't want them to stay if that's the attitude they have, right? We, we take this book very seriously. But we, we want to enjoy life. We don't take ourselves that seriously. Um, now, I want to talk about two of the last three. Uh, I want to talk about the lost and, and small groups. I want to emphasize those and, and because even in the values, you can kind of even order them in terms of why they're significant, why they're important. And, and, and so I, I want to start just by talking about it, the word lost is in quotation marks because that's a, a biblical phrase that refers to people that haven't connected to God yet through Jesus Christ. That's what that means. And so um, I, I, before we jump into that, each time I bring up a point, we're going to watch a short clip uh, from Everyone Loves Raymond. So watch this clip and then we'll talk. You know, I, I, I don't want to be one of those hell, fire and brimstone, yell at people kind of preachers. Um, I, I hope I never am that or become that. Um, but just to be clear, this book does speak of a place that it refers to as, as Tartarus or Gehenna, or we commonly refer to it as hell. Uh, it's a real place, and, and, and the Bible says that it's a place where people will go that have chosen not to connect to Christ. And, and we don't know exactly what happens there, but the implication is it's not good and it's not fun. And it is intended to be a, a motivation. It's interesting. It, the, the primary purpose is not to motivate the unsaved to get saved. If you don't get saved, you know where you're going. You know what the motivation is? It's to motivate us to try and talk to our coworkers, friends, and classmates because we don't want them to go there and have happen whatever happens there. It's critically important. That, and one of the things we need to understand is one of our highest values is reaching people who are unsaved, reaching people that are lost, reaching people who haven't connected to Jesus. I don't care how you say it, but that is a huge value to us and is a huge value to Jesus. Let me show you some verses. Let's put them up on the screen. Uh, in Mark chapter one, Jesus says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. I, I want you not to just li live for business. I want you to try and attract people to God. Acts chapter one, verse eight. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. 
all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. That's why today at 2.45, I'm getting on a plane to go to Africa. Because we are partnering together and saying, we'll lend them Dave for a couple weeks. That's what's happening, right? I'm so excited. I appreciate you guys praying. Really excited to go until yesterday. Not so excited. Because my girls, the girls I coach, yesterday won state cup semifinal. You know what that means? They play the final today at three. Yeah, I'm not going to know the score for a day and a half, so I am not very contento. Um, so anyway, that's happy for those of you who are white. Uh, Mark 16, 15, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Like, well, yeah, I see. I can't do that. I'm, I'm not one of those preacher guys, right? I, I'm going to, I'm going to get to that in, in a minute. You know, I, I read this story and, and about a armored truck in Wisconsin, in Green Bay, and something happened. You know how these guys come, they go to the stores, they pick up a bag of money, and, you know, they have one armed guy, and they put all this cash in, they take it to the bank for these stores. Something happened, and they didn't close the back door. I, I would think that's rather significant detail they forgot. But they didn't close it, and as they were drawing down a major free- freeway in, in the Green Bay area, the door opened, and a bag flew out, and $80,000 worth of $20 bills of $20 were flying all over the highway. People stopped. They got out of their car. They're trying to pick up cash right in the middle of the highway, $80,000 worth of money. I want you to know that we have a treasure far greater than 80,000 that God does not want us to keep locked up, but instead he wants us to give it to anybody and everybody that's willing to listen to us. It's the value of intentionally trying to reach those who are lost. One of my favorite stories is Mark chapter two. If you want to follow along in your Bible, great. If not, I'll put it up on the screen. Let me just read to you real quick what it says. And I wish I could dig deeper, but real quickly, a few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that Jesus had come home real quickly. Don't undervalue uh, how significant it is to have your home be a place you reach people for Christ. They may not come to God's home Sunday morning, but they might show up to your home and have a barbecue. Your home is a wonderful environment. You invite a couple other people to the barbecue. They're sitting right around you. They get to rub shoulders with other Christians. They realize we're not as weird as everyone says we are. And maybe little by little, they take a step closer to Christ. Don't don't underestimate how important your home is. Okay. It says they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And Jesus preached the word to them. Again, we have this idea that that's the only way to do evangelism. That's the only way to do witnessing. I'm going to show you in a moment that what I do Sunday morning is one of many ways to do evangelism, many ways to witness. And why me, we might not come up here and put a microphone on. Every single one of us is given the task to do something. It says, then some men came bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man carried, uh, carried by four of them. Now, uh, they hear Jesus is coming. They've heard about his gospel message. They've also heard that occasionally he also does some miracles. So these four guys, and you have to assume that they go get one of their buddies. And we went to high school with him, but then he had that motorcycle accident and now he's paralyzed and, and you know, he can't do anything. So they are desperate to get him to Jesus. But I want you, I, I underlined the number four to, to point out to you that witnessing evangelism 
tends to be best when we do it as a team. This is not me saying, go out there, go door to door and hand out flyers all by yourself. By the way, that's another style of evangelism, not very popular in our day and age. It was 20, 30 years ago. Um, But evangelism is what we do collectively as a team. It's what these four guys were doing as a team. The story wraps up and here's what we read. Let's put the next slide up there. Since they could not get him to Jesus, that's the whole point. The point is not to get them to church. The point is to get them to Jesus. Now, eventually, if they come to Jesus, they will understand that to be a a devoted follower of Christ means you have to find a local church that you can engage with. You cannot be who he intends you to be in Christ if you are floating in the wind and don't have a church that you call mine. You have to lock in somewhere. But the goal is to bring them to Jesus since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. Now watch. They made an opening in the roof. How many of you have heard this story before? Show of hands real quick. Many of you. We've heard this story so many times we don't realize the implication of what is being said there. I want you to imagine right now someone started digging a hole right there. What would we do? We'd be talking about it for weeks. We'd, we'd be Facebooking, right? But oh my goodness, look what happened. We've read this so many times, we don't realize how big an issue this is. They were cutting a hole in the roof. Above Jesus, by digging through it, and then when they lowered the mat, the, my, the man was lying on, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, sons, your sins are forgiven. This is what I call a whatever-it-takes attitude. They were so committed to helping their friend, their buddy, get to Jesus. I'm willing to do whatever it takes, including putting a hole in some dude's roof. Imagine what the homeowner thought. Or everyone sitting in the living room. Uh, Many commentators have pointed out that in those days, many of these thatched roofs, um, they didn't have plaster, right, to hold everything in place. And many of them have pointed out that most of the homes were packed, especially the roofs, with manure. So they would take manure, nice, warm, hot, soft manure, pack it into the roof, Let it dry by the sun and it would become waterproof. Now, just excuse my language for just a little bit to try and make a point. You've got four guys here that are willing to dig through whatever crap they had to to get someone to Jesus. Question, are you? Because we use so many excuses and let's just call it what it is to not do what God has called you, us to do. And I got to tell you, sometimes this witnessing, this evangelism thing is not fun. It gets a little messy. It gets a little dirty. It gets a little inconvenient. But that's what he's calling us to do. Why? Because your co-workers eternal destiny is at stake. That's why. Now, how do I do this? I, I don't want to be a preacher kind of person. How do I do this? In, in your study guide, I've given you the top seven different ways to share your faith. Let me show you real quick. Let's put them up there. And as I'm going through, I want you to pick which one are you? Which one are you? You got the testimonial style. You know what that one is? That, that's just like the blind man in, in the gospel of John. He, he just has a story. This is who I was before Jesus. Then I met Jesus. And this is who I am now. 
And this is you telling someone your story. The blind man, once he receives sight, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are all asking him these questions. And who is this Jesus? And doctrinal questions and theological questions. You know how he answered? This was his answer. I don't know. Here's all I know. I once was blind, but now I see. And some of us, we get so caught up. Well, what if they ask me about this? And what if they ask me about that? Your answer is, I don't know. But I once was blind, but now I see. I used to be a drunk, but now I'm this. I used to be mean, but now I'm this. I used to cuss, but now I'm this. I used to sleep around, but now I'm this. I don't know all the answers to the Bible, but here's what I know. I came in contact with Jesus and he changed my life. And it's a powerful way to share your faith. It's powerful. Then you've got the intellectual way that is sometimes called apologetics. The intellectual, some of you are really smart, really, really process oriented, really rational. And, and some of you, the best way you do evangelism is by being able to explain and have conversations, intellectual, philosophical conversations with folks about creation versus evolution. Or the problem of suffering in the world. Why does a good God allow bad things to happen? Right? Uh, what are all these different religions? Don't they all end up at the same place and be able to explain? Well, no, not really. And this is what makes Christianity so different. This is a rational approach to explain this. This is what Paul does in, in the book of Acts when he's talking to the philosophers in Athens. And some of you are great at that. Use that, maximize that. Some, by the way, some people that are not here this morning desperately need answers to some of those questions. They desperately need a conversation with you to try and help understand a little bit what's going on and why should this matter to me. Then you've got the interpersonal style. That's Matthew. Matthew gets saved. You know the first thing Matthew does after he gets saved? He has a party. He throws a party. And he invites all his pagan friends and he's got a ton of them. One of the unfortunate things that happens to many of us when we get saved, statistics show that within two months, many of us lose all the friendships we had before we came to Christ. Now, I understand why. You want a different way of living and what you used to do, you don't want to do anymore, but that's what all those friends are still doing. And, and so I, I, from a rational standpoint, I understand that. But some of you have this style of evangelism. You have all kinds of pagan friends. And even though you've come to Jesus and are living for Jesus and you're not doing all those things you used to do, they still like you. They want to be your friend. You know what they don't realize is the more they like you, the more they like Jesus. They just don't know it yet. Because if you are becoming like Jesus, they don't realize what is, I like. I just like that person. No, what you really like is Jesus. It's in me. And some of you have to maximize those friendships and maximize those relationships, not just to have fun, but for the kingdom. I, I you know, if I were to do this slide over again, I don't know if I'd call it confrontational. Maybe I'd call it direct. Uh, because confrontational implies something it, confrontational. The last time I was in the city, we had friends and we were taking them on the trolley or something. And we we're right in the city there and we were waiting in the line to get on. And there was this street preacher literally on a box with a megaphone preaching. Have you ever seen these guys? Right. And they were everything they said was true. But it was mean, mean, mean. You're a sinner and you're going to hell and on and on and on. And finally, I was sitting about the people next to me in line. Uh, you know, I was just to chit chat with them. And I said, by the way, I just want you to know 
I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. That guy's a jerk. And they go, well, is he one of yours? I go, well, not technically one of ours. I mean, we're probably going to be in heaven together. But, you know, every family has a crazy uncle. That's our crazy uncle, you know. <laughs> so that's not confrontational. Confrontational is what Paul does in Acts chapter 2. Direct style of evangelism is looking someone in the eye. Uh, but you know what Peter does in Acts chapter 2? He looks at the crowd of 2,000. He says, you know what? You guys killed Jesus. You guys killed Jesus. You know Why? Because you have sin in your life. And some people out there need a direct style. They need someone to look them in the eye and say, man, I, I, I care about you. But you know what? Your biggest issue is you got sin in your life. And until you get right with Christ, it, your life's not going to get right. It's a direct, not beat around the bush, direct style of evangelism. And some people out there need that. And some of you are good at it. Don't be mean, but that's what it is. The other is serving. You just, you love people. You care for people. You help them move a couch. You help them move a piano. You take them a meal when they're sick. You babysit their kids, even though their kids are out of control. You just do nice things for them. And you're hoping that as you do nice things for them, it opens a sliver of a door to help you explain why I do those nice things. It's because of what Christ has done for me. Prayer. You've heard stories, you know, grandmas and aunts. And I've been praying for you for 18 years for you to come to Christ. And some of you are great at that. You are prayer warriors. And by that, I mean that you're faithful and you persevere and you keep praying. By the way, each style has potential pitfalls. These last two, their pitfall, their weakness is you could serve people. You could pray for people. But if you're not careful, if you never speak about Jesus, it may not matter. Those styles are good. But at some point in time, you have to say the word Jesus and the word cross and the word sin and help them take that step. The last style is invitational. Invitational. The, the story of the woman at the well. Um, she meets Jesus. Her life is transformed. And then she says, Jesus, you stay here. I'm going to go back into town. Now, mind you, she had like multiple husbands and her life was a mess. She goes, you stay right here. She goes into town. She goes into town. She talks to all her friends and she says, I need you to meet somebody. Well, well who is he? Just come with me. Well, what does he have to say? I, you know, I can't can explain it. Just come with me. And she drags a whole group of people and she says, uh, there he is right there. Just, just listen to him. She invites them to hear about Jesus. Some of you are great at that. When we have events coming up, we're going to tell you about one coming up here on Super Bowl Sunday. Some of, some of you are really good at inviting your friends. Others of us, maybe not. We try, but some of you, you, you like have two rows always for you of friends you just go, I, I can't do those other things, but I'll, I'll drag my friends with me. Now, question. Look at that screen. Which one of those do you gravitate towards? Which one of those do you think maybe that's mine? Just look at it real quick. By the way, the secret is to try and get really good at one of them, but do all of them. Does that make sense? You, you have to just because you're good at one doesn't mean you don't try the others. Because I can be really good at inviting, but if I also share my story and I also share, answer some questions and I also develop a friendship and I also speak directly to them and I also serve them and pray for them, it makes a greater difference. So which, which one are you good at? Question, are you doing it? I came across a statistic this week. I sure hope it's not true because I beat myself upside the head with a hammer. 
The statistic I came across indicates that 92% of Christians die without ever witnessing to another person. 90? I sure hope that's not true. That can't be true. You and I need to be engaged in that. Because just because we have eternity figured out doesn't mean we shouldn't care about those that are around us. We desperately need to care about those around us. Christianity is the best way to live. It's the only way to die. And that's our value. It is. Second thing I want to talk to you about is small groups. We've been talking about, we have signups on one more week today, but I want to talk to you about why we keep bringing it up and why we will keep bringing it up. There's many reasons we do it. This next clip introduces one of the reasons. Listen, I go for the sense of community. Running around this morning, trying to get the last couple things for Africa. And I drove by Terra Hills and the supermarket there. And I saw, I saw that they still have an outdoor church service where someone has a microphone and everyone sits in cars and turns to a certain radio station. And it, it I don't want to be critical, but that's not community. You were never intended to do this Christianity thing by yourself. You were always intended to do it in community, in a group, right? Um, here's what you need to do. We do small groups, not not because it's the latest fad, we don't do small groups because there's some cool church in L.A. that's really big and we want to be like them. So we're going to do that. We, we do it because right from the beginning, when God introduces the idea of church, the very DNA of church includes small groups. Let me show you. Acts chapter 5. God has just introduced this idea of church. The gospels are over. Jesus has died and risen. And now he says to the disciples, the way you now help spread the word the gospel is through this thing that we're going to call church. This is what I want you to do at church. Day after day, they met in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So basically what I want you to do is I want you to have really, really big meetings. And then I want you to have kind of smaller meetings. Back in those days, the big meeting was at the temple court. You could get as many people as you wanted in the temple courts. You could pack in a couple thousand people. Our big meeting, when does it happen? It's happening right now. It's one of the ways that we spread the word about the gospel and we all grow in our faith. Okay? And then the smaller meetings is what we call small groups. I don't, by the way, it's why some churches call them home groups. Home groups, because they met in house to house. I don't care if you call them Bible study, home groups, small groups, but you have a big meeting and there's a certain style of, of how you learn and then you have small group meetings. It's in the very DNA of how God invents church and what he expects from us. Now, if you've never been part of a small group, what do small groups do? Well, he tells us what we're supposed to do. Let's put it up there. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now I'm going to color code it for you real quickly to show you the top five things you're supposed to do in groups. Put them up there. Number one, the obvious one, Bible study. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. 
That's why our small groups, our home groups, they spend a chunk of their time studying the Bible, right? We're trying to grow in our faith. That's the point. They also spend some time in prayer. By the way, we pray in the big meetings and in the small meetings. In the big meetings, we give someone a microphone and they pray and we join them in prayer. Or after the services, go right over to the prayer room and we have someone pray for you. That's how we kind of pray in our big meetings. But in our smaller meetings, what we do is we say, well, what's going on in your life? And what's going on in your life? And what's going on in your life? And how can I pray for you? And then we should take a little bit of time to all go around and pray. And then some of you are thinking, well, I can't do that. I would have to pray out loud. Yes, that's what you're going to have to do. Because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to get over yourself and learn to pray with another smaller group of people. You're not praying with 100 people. You're praying with eight people in a living room. You have to learn to do that. At the very least, you have to allow other people to pray for you. Because if your life is falling apart right now, don't you want people praying for you? Even if it's not falling apart, you got a smaller issue, but you sure you have a, another group of eight to ten people that got, I, I got your back in prayer. In prayer, right? That's a big deal. That's important. They also it says they gave to anyone that had a need. They were serving one another. We tell our, our small groups once out of every session, once out of every quarter, we, we want you to not do Bible study and want you to go serve and do some project, do something. You could all, as a group, volunteer and help at our next Easter event that the children and FX are going to do. I don't care what it is. But it's not just about us. It's about helping. I could be someone else in your group. Hey, what's their names? are moving. We're going to cancel group. We're going to their place. We're helping them pack the kitchen or whatever. It's also about serving one another. It's also, now check this out. It's about having fun. I could have highlighted so many things here. It says they ate together. By the way, eating is a theological and doctrinal necessity in church. I kid you not. It's when you give someone just a little bit of food, watch what happens to that atmosphere. Right? That's why we tell people have some snacks at small group. It kind of matters. Right? They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and, and enjoying themselves. It says two different times they were they were committed to breaking bread. That's not a cool way to say communion. When they said they broke bread, they literally meant we had a meal together. You want to know something else we tell our small groups? And if you're a small group leader, you need to be striving towards this. Once a session, once a quarter, don't have group. Go out to Chevy's, go bowling, have a game night, do whatever you want to do. You know what we find the week after a group does something fun? The week after you have fun, game night, bowling, whatever you want to do, the week after the Bible study and the prayer time is always much better. Because when you've laughed with someone, when you've enjoyed their company, what ends up happening is when sharing time happens next week and they start sharing, you know, I got this issue, my, my, uh, my dad's really sick and it's hurting me and I know, I know that's what happens when you get old, but it, just be praying. You know, you laughed with them last week and now you see them that they're struggling. It means something to you and you're much more faithful to pray for them. This is not games. No, you really need to enjoy people's company. And and the last one is outreach. It says the Lord added to their number daily. At the very least, you should be praying for your friends and co-workers that don't know Christ. Some groups are really creative. They're like, when we have bowling night, we're going to invite people who don't know Christ. We're not having Bible study. We're not praying at the bowling alley. Well, you might be praying if you're, you know, trying to get the strike or everything. But we're just going to hang out. 
That's what, that, that's what they do. Now, here's what you need to understand. When you participate in small groups, we get a double win. We win as a church. We win as an organization. We get stronger. And you win as an individual. The, the point of this is to grow in your faith. That's the whole point. The whole point is to grow in your faith. I was, I was, do you guys remember a couple years ago I had that thing in my arm and I had surgery? I had, I was putting something away or I came across my brace. And I remember a conversation I had two days before my surgery. Two days before my surgery, I had this pre-op call with the nurse and I want to confirm your, your, um, your address and we, who's your contact person and what your emergency, your address and, and what's your, you know, all these things are asking me all these questions. And, and then, and then the nurse says to me, it says here on your list here that you have no religious affiliation. I go, really? She goes, yeah, basically you have no faith. And I said, really? It's, it, it, I, she, I, I said, that's weird. I said, cause I'm a pastor. And there's this long pause on the phone. She goes, that is weird. She goes, uh, what, what pastor are you a church of? And I was like, uh oh, this is not going well. So I'm like, Valley Bible. I threw Phil right underneath the bus. I had no problem doing that. The whole point is that you grow in your faith. And this is one of the ways you do it. Let, let me show you when we want to help you take your next step closer to Jesus. There's a strategy in how we try and do this. Let me show you. Let's put this next slide up there. There are four different ways or venues we try and do this. The first one is Sunday morning, right? The size is as many people as we can get. It's called the sermon, right? And the format of teaching is lecture, which basically means I do, you know, 95, 99% of the talking. Every once in a while, Linda Miller does 5% of the talking, but I'm accustomed to that. She just talks back to me. It's okay. We've been together a long time. Then you got six to 15 people in small groups, right? Uh, some of you go over 15, you have like a little church plant going on or whatever, but it should be, it should be like six to 15. And the format there is discussion. Now the teacher does about 50% of the talking. If you as a small group leader are doing more than 50% of talking, you might have to rethink how you're doing group. Yes, you're still doing teaching. Educational theory says you learn differently by sitting and listening to a lecture as you do when you sit in a group and discuss, when you have to verbalize your thoughts. When I did my doctoral class, we, 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 we were, I, I was going and listening to these lectures. I love the first format of learning. And then the teacher says, we're going to get into small groups of five or six of you. And, and you guys are going to talk about. And I was like, I don't want to talk to these yahoos. They don't have a clue what's going on. I want to listen to the professor. And then I realized the more I did it, the more I learned how to verbalize and listen and process that that second way of learning, just discussion and interaction is a valuable way to learn. And I had to grow in that. By the way, don't miss the number one venue talked about, especially in the Old Testament introduced there is the family. It's a primary breeding ground for discipleship. And the format there is everyday life. Then the last one, you can't miss the last one, is one-on-one -on -one devotions. Notice how the size gets smaller and smaller and smaller. One and one, you and God. Having a private time, reading a little scripture and talking to God in prayer. Now, you have to understand the purpose for each one because they're all different. It's looking at the same thing, but all from a different angle. And you need every single one, like four, four tires on a car. Let me show you what the purpose is. The purpose on Sunday morning is information and motivation. Information and motivation. Some of us thought that Sunday morning is all about information. I got to fill out the blanks and all, you know, I got to learn more about the Bible. 
Certainly there is part of that. But here's the thing. A lot of you on Sunday morning, when I teach, you've already heard the stories. Haven't you? You've already heard them. But here's the thing. The issue is not whether you're getting more information. I learned a couple years ago, one of my primary tasks on Sunday morning is to motivate you. You know why? Because some of you, if you learned nothing more of Scripture for the rest of your life, if you learned no new story, no new concept, no new principle for the rest of your life, but all you did from here to the rest of your life is you applied everything you know, God would be incredibly pleased with you. The issue for so many of us is not that we don't need more information. The issue is we need more motivation. You just got to do what you already know. And that's part of my job. I don't care if you've heard the story of the prodigal son. You're not living it yet. So my job is to be your spiritual cheerleader and say, do what it says. That's part of my job. That's what happens. You don't have a small group leader do that, do you? Small group leader doesn't stand up with a microphone. Hey, it's good to have all of you here in my living room. <laughs> I got a story that I want to share. But the format's all off. What's the format and the purpose of small groups? It's friendships and community. The, the technical word for it in the Bible is koinonia or fellowship. It's growing together with other people. In the family, it's informal modeling. You go, well, I'm not part of the family right now, or I'm not married. You got to find someone that you can look at. Oh, that's what Jesus looks like in a, in a person with living flesh. I'll give you an example. You know how I learned to be a godly husband? Watching my dad. That's how I learned. He didn't sit down with me and give me notes. He didn't have me fill out blanks. He didn't have me read a book. I just watched. And our job, every generation, our job is to observe what our parents do and take the good and apply it to our lives and take the maybe not so good and change it. That's the role of every generation. That's the job of my kids. My kids are to watch me and to get the good that I do and the maybe not so good, let that go to the side and improve. But family is very, very important. And the last one is devotions, just me and God and the purpose there is intimate relationships. But here's the thing, you win when you go to small groups, if you're doing all the other ones, but not small groups, there's a part of you in your spiritual walk that's missing. It's missing. And so I'm here to motivate you to say for this session, you got one more week. You could sign up right now and check it out. You need small groups and we need you. Let me show you how small groups works from our perspective. Last week, let's put this slide up here. I shared with you the different sizes of churches. The small churches, cheers, where everyone knows your name. The large churches, six flags, you know, they have a lot of good programs. We're the medium church, the ugly duckling. We're not small enough to be great at relationships. We're not big enough to be great at programs. And then I shared with you this book. Let's put it up there. It's a book by Gary McIntosh, One Size Doesn't Fit All. And he talks about what do you do to become healthy? You're medium. How do you push through and become large, but do it in a healthy way? And I talked to you about one thing. We talked about the role of the staff and the pastor, and we've had good conversations this past week just about that. But that's not the only thing he talks about. It's interesting. As you start to get to be a larger church, what do you do? To be healthy, here's what he said. Let's put it up there. The role of the pastors must change. You have to become systematically more organized. You need more dog lovers, less cat lovers. It's interesting how this research comes up time and time again. You know, I love being a pastor just to mess with you at least once a month with that kind of stuff. It feels so good. Um, to increase facility capacity, duh, that's kind of what we're doing. And look at the last one. To prioritize and to improve small groups. 
I had one person that knows a lot about church say to me, the number one thing that'll determine how healthy you are two to three years from now is how good you get at small groups. Right now, we literally need twice as many small group leaders and we literally need twice as many people in small groups. Just because we get bigger doesn't mean we forget about relationships and relationships have to happen in small groups. That's the point. So let's put our summary slide up. Which one are you going to help us do better? I'm going to be more real authenticity. I'm going to give my best excellence. I'm going to balance speaking the truth, but doing it in grace. I'm going to apply practical messages, or I'm going to be better at that as I teach. I'm going to be jump in and start serving team ministry. I'm going to be about helping this church grow. I'm going to smile a little bit more and laugh a little bit more. I'm going to go about reaching the loss and apply what I just learned culturally relevant. I'm not going to complain about the music. We're doing it to try and be culturally relevant, or I'm going to join a small group. Look at that list of 10. Pick one. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for who you've made us to be. We want to honor you. We want you to be proud of our efforts. Father, I especially pray right now for the two values we talked about. Help us be intentional about reaching our friends for Christ. Really, that there's a whole lot at stake. And Father, I would pray for those, especially that haven't joined a small group, maybe they've never been part of one, that you would just give them that little, that little nudge to say, maybe today I'm going to try it out. We love you. We love your church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.